0: Just the best literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on our last podcast, I was able to get us through the final day of Jim's inquiry. seemed like it took us forever to get there, but we got through it. Now, he got the severest sentencing, and it had such an incredible and devastating emotional impact on him. Now, Jim's mood was black. Marlowe, he felt compelled to invite him back to his room, to protect him from committing suicide. So it was a black day for Jim. Well, today we want to continue our discussion of Jim and Marlowe's encounter after the inquiry. I'm happy to say uh, my wife, Deborah is back with me in the studio. Welcome back, dear. Thank you. Uh, you were gone last week. I had to do it all by myself. Uh, also uh, with us is our stand-in producer, Parker Campbell. Now, Parker can't say anything because he doesn't have a mic. but uh, uh, Gabe is uh, at our SEP program, summer education program, and right now he's either uh, eating lunch, teaching tennis, or rugby. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll forgive him for not being here. Now, just a quick word of instruction. Over the next couple of chapters, the reading takes a new twist. Uh, it's not hard to follow. But Conrad continues the story of Jim from encounters with people he knows and visits during his own voyages. So so it's like the history is built by what other people observe. Now, these people have also had contact with Jim as he moves, unfortunately, from job to job. And so we're going to start today in chapter 15. And uh, it's, it's kind of a weird little section. So there's not a whole lot of comments that I want to make here, but but this is typical Conrad. So at the bottom of page 131, all of you out there listening, uh, he he makes this statement towards the bottom of the page. He says, there is a weird power in a spoken word. And why the devil not? And so, so here, Conrad is talking to you personally. He says, uh, I was asking myself persistently while, while I dove on with my writing. And he's talking about, if you remember back to the former program, Uh, You know, Jim's all upset and uh, he was writing letters to all these people. And he said, uh, he said, I was, uh," he was really involved in his writing. He said, all at once on a blank page under the very point of the pen, the two figures of Chester and his antique partner. And that's, uh, that's Robinson. Holy terror, Robinson. (laughs) He says, very distinct and complete, would dodge into view with stride and gestures as if reproduced in the field of some optical toy. Now. The reason I'm bringing this up is this reminds me so much of Star Wars when they had the game and the monsters were fighting each other. And, and I just want to show you, I mean, this was written a long time ago, but it shows the imagination of Joseph Conrad. And it's, it's really an amazing thing here. He said it was like some optical toy. He said, I would watch them for a while. No, they were too phantasmal and extravagant to enter into anyone's fate. And a word carries far, very far, deals destruction through time as the bullets go flying through space. I said nothing, and he out there with his back to the light as if bound and gagged by all the invisible foes of man made no stir and made no sound. And so it's, uh, we're going to come back a little bit to uh, to Chester and uh, uh, Holy Terror Robinson. Uh, they, 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 uh, Oh, well I don't want to give it all away all right so uh, so that is the end of chapter 15 everybody so now we can start chapter 16 and again I, I just have to say it is really an unusual beginning and uh, uh, but you know with Marlowe you um, you know you have to get ready for anything but uh, this first paragraph I'm going to read through it and uh, then we'll give, give uh, Deborah a little chance to talk. Says the time was coming when I should see him loved, trusted, admired, with a legend of strength and prowess forming round his name as though he had been the stuff of a hero. It's true, I assure you, as true as I'm sitting here talking about him in vain. He, on his side, had that faculty of beholding at a hint the face of his desire and the shape of his dream, without which the earth would know no lover and no adventurer. He captured much honor and an Arcadian happiness. So essentially what we have here is Marlowe's prophecy is that that, uh, all the bad stuff that's happened to Jim, he's eventually going to be the hero. Uh, He's going to be loved. He's going to be respected. And uh, uh, even as we go through the next couple chapters, we realize he's not having a good time. So do you have any comments on that part, my friend?
1: Um well no it, it just that it is it is uh, kind of like a he's like giving you a hint a preview it's, it's there's always he has so many contrasts cuz just before that is he's ready to commit suicide and so now he's right. he's jumping ahead and saying but no no wait no look it's it's going to get better and it's
0: going to get better and he is so so mm-hmm. remember this was also a series in a magazine so you know he's probably uh, wanting to help keep people interested you know as well so the other thing I thought was interesting, and I had to look this up, by the way, is what is Arcadian happiness? You know, I, I was thinking about, our, you know, our friends in Eastern Canada because they're Arcadian. So I did look it up, by the way. And uh, oh, by the way, also, you yeah. weren't around, and I did look up about the, the court case being something like the hole in the corner. Mm-hmm. And it just means it was it was not it was not true justice, mm. you know, and so, so we got that fixed. You weren't here to help me fix that, but I got that fixed. Okay, so Arcadian happiness is, it's a vision of a pastoral setting where there's peace, there's quiet, people are, you know, they enjoy their farms, they're out singing and dancing, and so, so that's our Arcadian happiness. And so, so he's saying there that, um, you know, there's, there's a time coming when, you know, Jim is going to be well, as he says there. It's going to be felicity, and how should I say it? He it said it's a uh, is qualified out of a golden cup in every latitude. The fa- the flavor is with you, and so so he he's really he's still he's still painting this picture, you know, of Jim. And you you think about let's say the most peaceful setting he could be in. You know, there's sheep. It's a beautiful sunny day. You know, he's drinking out of the cup of life. He's just happy, and so uh, um, you know, we know that um, uh, because of the court case and what happened to the inquiry, it really destroyed his life. I mean, it really destroyed all of his dreams. So, so Conrad is painting this pastoral picture. Um, he also tells us that that uh, he would drink deep out of uh, the life's golden cup, and uh, uh, but then also, if you if you go down the page just a little bit you know so so we know now that he's he's uh never going to be a a you know a, a shipmate again and uh, we also knew from before that he was already working you know as a ship chandler he's working as a, as a water clerk again and uh uh so so again at the, at the top of this page he's telling us well it's it's going to be all right he's going to have arcadian happiness. But then he says, um, but unfortunately, it says there had been, as you know, a period of probation amongst the infernal chip handlers during which he had suffered. And I had worried about, about my trust, you may call it. And so, so in other words, he's starting all over again. You know, he went through all those things as chief mate to get to be chief mate. Now he has to start all over and he has to 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 relearn uh like a kind of a new job to be a ship chandler and uh of course he becomes the best one there is and uh you know it's it uh it uh i I think that's very interesting or or, uh, very interesting all right uh one of the other things i think is important here in this chapter 15 is um uh
1: Excuse me, we're in 16
0: now? I mean 16, yeah, mm-hmm. thank you, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, let's see, I'm looking at the top of my page where it says 15. Right. <laughs> so anyway, that happens to everybody on the radio. So so anyway, we are in 16. But but one thing that I think is um, really important here is the, the fact that Conrad brings out that the problem with Jim is that he's fixated on his disgrace, and there's a lot of other people. As we go, we're going to go through this program and then the next one. They don't care. They don't care what happened on the Padna. And I think some people know it's all the facts aren't in. And uh, uh, so, so it, it just says there that that he's fixated on his disgrace. He goes on to say, he says, but I cannot fix before my eye the image of his safety. I shall always remember him as seen. Uh, Uh, through the open door of my room taking perhaps too much to heart the mere consequences of his failure so so that's the problem with jim
1: also he 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 um on the next page in 133 he says something like still the idea obtrudes itself that he made so much of his disgrace while it is the guilt alone that matters so i think that's interesting that Marlowe says that 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 he if you you know we know if you you're guilty of something and you you are sorry about it and you change, you know it makes it but he but all he could fixate on was the disgrace you know and right. it was his pride in how he looked to other people right it' more important to him
0: right his his mm-hmm. uh, blue eyes, mm-hmm. his blonde hair, his beautiful physique didn't impress him because <laughs> he was disgraced so uh uh anyway. It, it 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 is um, it, it, so many of us can get caught in that same thing, you know, where you know people and you know, we all make mistakes in our life, and uh, you know sometimes we never let go of the mistakes. People have forgotten them for years, and yet we still hang on to them, and and it's all because of our vanity. And so so we know that Jim he he may have been really capable of a lot of things, but he also had to deal with his vanity. You know, just just like um, uh, you know, all of us have to do. Um, now, one thing I just want to bring this up. I, the last program we talked a little bit about Chester and and um, uh, Holy Terror Robinson. We didn't go into a lot of details about it, but these are the two shipmates that that uh, were, were, one was the cap. Well, they were both captains of ships, and uh, Chester was in the inquiry too. But but Conrad didn't bring this up until the end. And they could see real value in, um, you know, Jim's personality. And they had this deal. They were going to get this Warpole uh, Island or a very small Island. They were going to have this, this whole, uh, uh, new adventure, financial adventure of, you know, collecting all the bird fertilizer on the Island and taking it to the, you know, to the plantations. And it was supposed to be really good. And, uh, you know the reason why they wanted Jim is they knew he was washed up. They knew he would never be a chief mate. and They thought they could just grab him and use them. And of course, Marlowe fought against it. And and it's here that uh, Marlowe reveals to us that Chester and Robinson were blown away by a hurricane on the Walpole Shoals. <laughs> so so they're gone. You know they're gone. But he does bring them up again. Um, also, I think the um, the. Page 133, um, I, I think uh, there's there's one paragraph here that I think is is really good writing by Conrad, but it's also, I think he's trying to encourage us about about Jim, because in some ways, if you remember back, um, you know, Jim was, it really, you know, it did look like he was going to commit suicide. Uh, we know Brierly says, makes the comment, that, you know, better just dig him a hole, let him you know, put himself in it. But, um, you know, uh, he's saying, well, there is there is a, a, a blessed finality in death. You know, your whole life, it's all over. But but then he says, and I, th- I think this was really positive, it says, while there is life, there is hope, truly. But there is fear, too. I don't mean to say that I regret my action nor will I pretend that I can't sleep at nights in the consequence. Still, the idea... "...obtrudes himself that he made so much of his disgrace, while it is the guilt alone that matters. He was not, if I may say so, clear to me. He was not clear, and there is a suspicion he was not clear to himself either. There were his fine sensibilities, his fine feelings, his fine longings, a sort of sublimated, ideally selfishness. He was, if you allow me to say, very fine, very fine, and very unfortunate. A little coarser nature would not have borne the strain." It would have had to come to terms with itself, with a sigh, with a grunt, even with a guffaw. A still coarser one would have remained invulnerably ignorant and completely uninteresting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Jim was definitely interesting. That's what he's, yeah. that's what he's saying. And,
0: <laughs> and I think as good. as is where there's life, there's hope. So mm-hmm. you know, he didn't die. So I think he's, he's uh, you know, palming off that, that prophecy that, hey, things are going to get better you know things are going to get better for him. So um uh if we skip over to page 134 I mean we're still in this uh this this kind of positive semi-positive thing. Um but uh remember now Jim Jim uh Marlowe has has been able to get Jim to come back to his room because he was really really worried he was going to jump jump off the quay and uh um you know, so he's back there, and uh, you know it's, it's really starting to storm. And says, in the, this is middle of page 134, it says, An abrupt heavy rumble made me lift my head. The noise seemed to roll away, and suddenly a searching and violent glare fell upon the face of the night. The sustained and dancing flickers seemed to last for the unconscionable time. The growl of the thunder increased steadily while I looked at him, distinct and black, planted solidly on the shores of a sea of, of light. At the moment of greatest brilliance, the darkness leaped back with a culminating crash, and he vanished before my dazzled eyes, as utterly as though he had been blown to atoms. A blustering sigh passed. So, so anyway, there's all this storm going on. It's it's like Conrad is picturing this is what's going on inside Jim, <laughs> and he finally speaks, and I think this is kind of hilarious. Um, uh, you know, Conrad is wanting to hear something really important he says may i have a cigarette
1: (laughs) yes well yeah he also it sounds like marlo was he had anxiety too It was like he was almost afraid of what he was going to say right (laughs) yeah right Mm -hmm. i mean uh, he was
0: really he was really taking marlo down with him i mean marlo was getting as depressed as he was uh he said i gave a push to the box without raising my head i want tobacco he muttered I became extremely buoyant. Just a moment, I grunted pleasantly. He took a few steps here and there. That's over, I heard him say. A single distant clap of thunder came from the sea like a gun of distress. So so, I think it's just really creative how he's, as Jim starts talking, he brings the storm into it. You know, so that Jim is just, I mean, you could just see it's like this storm is going on inside the, this poor guy's brain. And... uh he said. Uh, he goes on to say. He said this encouraged me to turn around, which I did as soon as I had finished addressing the last envelope. Remember now, Conrad's trying, trying to keep quiet and give this guy a chance to come around. So he's writing all these letters to people that would never expect a letter from him anyway. And so he's just riding over there, keeping quiet. And so he says uh, he was smoking greedily in the middle of the room and threw. And though he heard the stir I made, he remained with his back to me for a time. He says, come, I carried it off pretty well. So so now Jim is kind of assessing himself. So he's saying, look, I, carry, you know, I, I handled this inquiry. I carried it off really well. And uh, he, he said, something paid off, not much. I wonder what's to come. His face did not show any emotion, only it appeared a little darkened and swollen, as though he had been holding his breath. He smiled reluctantly, as it were, and went on while I gazed up at him mutely. "Thank you through through uh, the room." Uh, "Thank you, though. Your room jolly convenient for a chap badly hipped." So so Jim is is uh, capable of recognizing what's going on, and uh, he realizes that that Marlowe is really trying to help him, and you know he's homeless now. He, he's without a home. He's without a job. <laughs> You know, um, but that, but the whole thing for you readers out there is, is, I really want to encourage you to read all of this because of the creative, the creativity of the writing. Um, you know, Jim will say a few things. Notice he goes on. This is page one thirty-five. It says, "A flash of faded lighting darted in through the black framework of the windows and ebbed out with any noise." I was thinking how I would best approach him. I did not want to be flung off again when he gave a little laugh no better than a vagabond now so he's talking jim is talking about himself says the end of the cigarette smolder between his fingers without a single single he pronounced slowly, so that so you have to imagine that that jim is really having some really uh, severe mental anxiety it's like he can he's he's thinking and then he's only giving he's only speaking some of his thoughts um so so jim's really really broken up over this he says he paused the rain fell with redoubted violence someday one's bound to come up upon some sort of chance to get it all back again so so i think that's that's amazing that that jim is saying look i mean in in some ways he's depressed but he's saying surely there's some way i can get it back you know he's he's trying to think of that and then uh he 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 says the word must and so it's really kind of all broken up here but if if once you read it and understand what's going on is that that this guy is just really i mean he's losing it really he said i did not even know what it was he wished to he wished so much to regain what it was he had so terribly missed i might have been so much that it was impossible to say and of course he's talking about chester and he's he's um he goes into the thing about Chester when he said yeah, what what's he worried about? A piece of ass's skin. And i against, against what you have to understand is the uh his um licenses, they would have been written on like animal hide. skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hide, yeah. They would have mm-hmm. been written on hide. Mm-hmm. And so so uh and, and so even even Chester is I mean I think that's kinda of funny that even that name. Realizes that you know it's not the end of the world because you lost your license as a shipmate. I mean, the the guy is capable of doing all kinds of things. And then notice it goes on down the paragraph, and and this is really, um, I think it's really interesting. He said, "I feel as if nothing could ever ever touch me." And so, so how many people think that in their lives that you can just go ahead and live your life and nothing is going to touch them? And so, Jim. Uh, as we find out later, what his real problem is, we won't want to give that out yet. But, but uh, Jim just thought he was, inv- in, you know, in, uh, invincible—that nothing, nothing like this would ever happen to him. And uh, you know, look, look what happened. And, you know, he got, he got really walloped. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, Conrad goes on to, say, to write, us said it struck me—or I should say, it's Marlow. It struck me that that it is from such as he." that the great army of waifs and strays is recruited, the army that marches down, down into the gutters of the earth. <clears throat> and as soon as he left my room, that bit of shelter, he would take his place in the ranks and begin the journey towards the bottomless pit. <laughs> so so you have any comments on that? Well, that's
1: that's a, a great way of describing homelessness. I mean, that's what we would call, we have lots of homeless people you know, in the United States, and that's this is what this is how they start. And but, but he's he's really very descriptive in yeah. in how this homelessness you know uh, comes about. I mean,
0: yeah. And the the thing is 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 uh, Marlow really wants to help him. Um, he goes on. Marlow goes on to say it is when we try to grapple with another man's intimate need that we perceive how incomprehensible, wavering and misty are the beings that share with us the sight of the stars and the warmth of the sun. (laughs) It is as if loneliness were a hard and absolute condition of existence. The envelope of the flesh and blood on which our eyes are fixed melts before the outstretched hand, and there remains only the capricious, unconsolable, and elusive spirit that no eye can follow, no hand can grasp. It was fear of losing him that kept me silent, for it was borne upon me suddenly and with unaccountable force that should I let him slip into the darkness, I would never forgive myself. So, so there's a whole thing with Conrad and the darkness. And it, it is interesting when he, he brings out, I mean, uh, he, he does bring out the universe. And um, I, I think that before we get to the end of the book, I want to talk more about the fact that human beings, we are universe beings. And uh, the universe is still part of the plan for man. And it's it's uh, it's not involving spaceships, <laughs> and so, so I think in some ways it just looks to me like, like uh, Conrad thought about this a lot, and, uh, and and I know that even Herman Melville they thought hey, there's this entire universe out there, and here we're on a planet. They knew we we're on a planet. Here there's mankind. What is the relationship? What is the what is the catch? You know what? Why why are we in the universe as we are? And uh, that has been revealed if you're willing to look at the truth, and so uh, I'll just keep keep that the way it is, and we'll, we'll come to this before we uh, we get off the book. All right, I think that's all that we can talk about. Chapter sixteen. Do you have any more comments? All right, mm, no. Let's go to chapter seventeen. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any comments before I begin?
1: Well, well, ju- just that uh, he had to pr- practically pull him in, you know, because he, he was getting ready to leave.
0: Oh, yeah, he was taken off.
1: Yeah, he was taking, and And he said, I'm, wait, I'm, and Marlo said, wait, don't leave. And, and he said, I'm not going to have have dinner with you. And he said, no, no, just come in. And so finally he, he did come in. So yeah, but a lot of it was because of the rain. Yeah. yeah right.
0: Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he was homeless <laughs> and it was really raining. Yes. He thought, well, uh, you know, it, it just, it, in some ways, I think that does show his youth. I mean, Jim's youth. You're not going to buy dinner for me again. You know, you're not going to feel sorry for me. You're not going to make me feel sorry for myself. So um, uh, I'll just read that top paragraph there. I said he came in at last, but I believe it was mostly the rain that did it. <laughs> it was falling just then with a devastating violence, which quieted down gradually while we talked. His manner was very sober and set. His bearing was that of a naturally taciturn man possessed by an idea. My talk was of the material aspect of his position. It had the sole aim of saving him from degradation, ruin, and despair that out there out there close so swiftly upon friendliness, a homeless man. So so Marlow Marlowe sees you know, pretty clearly what's gonna to happen to the guy. And he notice he goes on to say, I pleaded with him to accept my help. I argued reasonably and every time I looked up at that absorbed, smooth face so grave and youthful I had disturbing sense of being no help but rather an obstacle in some mysterious, inexplicable, impalpable striving of his wounded spirit. <laughs> <laughs> so so Jim is so caught up in trying to figure out what he's doing, he's not necessarily observing what's happening to him.
1: He's he's not at all thinking practically at all. It's it's all about um the emotion and, and his his um, his dreams or you know it's it's his spirit, his dreams. It's, it's you gone. know, yeah. yes. It's and most important this is to him. listen to
0: Marlo. This is mm-hmm. this is like I don't know. If th- there's been some really some men in my life that you know they've seen me, me make mistakes and they're trying to help you. And he says, um, uh, Marlo says to him, "Well, he says, I suppose you you intend to eat and drink and to sleep under shelter in the usual way." <laughs> I remember saying with irritation, "You say you won't touch the money, that do you?" He he uh, came as near as his sword, can to making a gesture of horror. So so he was so bad off, he wasn't even going to go collect his paycheck.
1: Yes, it was, because of his pride, he wouldn't even take the paycheck. Which no, you know, no, which I, most people would think. Well, at least he's do that. You know, at yeah. Least, well, yeah. where yeah. Are you, where are you going to mm-hmm. live? Yeah, you
0: know. And so uh, so anyway, he said uh, he says, "Well, that's too little to matter now." Anyhow, but what what will you do tomorrow? Where will you turn? You must live," uh, he says. "That isn't the thing." Was the comment that it, that escaped uh, him under his breath. I ignored it and went on combating what I assumed to be the scruples of an exaggerated delicacy. <laughs> so, so he's really trying to help him, and uh, he just won't even listen. So, so, uh, uh, but but one thing I think is is. Uh, uh, let's say for the readers out there this this is really the turn in the book this is a turn away from the sea life and we're going to get into to the next phase of Jim's life here pretty quickly so uh, uh, anyway um, I think one of the things we just have to say that Jim is just paralyzed I mean he, mentally he's just paralyzed by what's happened to him and he can't deal with it now one of the things that comes up here and uh, we're probably going to have to uh, close with this really quickly, is Marlow pleads to help Jim, and what he says is, look, I've actually written a letter to procure a job for you. And he said, I want you to take this letter and go to this man. And, and immediately, if you look on page 138, Jim, Jim says, how noble of you. And, and finally, he comes out of the gloom and uh you know essentially jim feels wow, i'm finally getting a clean slate so maybe this will work out and uh uh you know but but i don't think marlo necessarily sees it that way <laughs> does he
1: yes no he's he he definitely has more of, an, more of a depressed kind of negative you know look realistic at, look realistic, at realistic like, look at it like yeah. this
0: poor kid's in big trouble mm-hmm. and i'm going to help him get a job mm-hmm. so anyway so there is there is a little part there to that chapter where maybe the Arcadian happiness is going to come his way. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, Deborah and I will be back and we'll continue to discuss Jim's life after the inquiry decision. You can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can also follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. So, until next time, keep reading.